All right. Well, I am going to release Lynn to go at it. Everybody welcome our brother, our friend, Lynn Furrow. Amen. Well, I appreciate that. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I just have one confession to make. I am a little bit jet-lagged yet. Um, I went to Nigeria for two weeks and got back Friday morning, and it's about a uh, 12-hour flight uh, as you fly across the ocean, but it's about a six-hour time difference, and so my body is telling me that it's already towards the evening, and this morning, I woke up like at three o'clock in the morning, and I was ready to, to, well, I was, it was like, it felt like it was mid-morning, it was, it was like, okay, I need to get up. I just kind of laid there because I didn't want to disturb Carmen and and that. So my body is still trying to get back into rhythm of what time zone I'm in and all those good things. But it's good to be here. And Eric tried to touch base with me several times before I left. And also uh, when I got in on Friday and said, are you sure you want to do this right away and not try to just uh, come into a smooth landing? I said, no, let's continue to do it. So... We'll just trust uh, God to do a good thing this morning. Uh, The second thing is that uh, a number of the people, as you came and greeted me this morning, you didn't say, Lynn, it's good to see you. How are you doing? You said, is your wife Carmen here? (laughs) And uh, so I don't know how to take that. Uh, But uh, she does send greetings to you. And the second person I want to give greetings to the church is uh, Cletus Bossy and Blessing. They specifically, I told them that I was going to be with you Sunday morning when I got back, and they specifically said, would you make sure and greet the church there? God has really uh, blessed them. Uh, It was 14 years ago, 1998 was the last time that I was there, and it's amazing to see the growth and development of the ministry there, had the multiplication that has occurred. And primarily what I did there when I was in Nigeria is I went every year. They have what they call a Design for Destiny conference. And they pull in kind of all the branches, all the churches that have been planted and, and the ministries that have been multiplied over the year. And it was just kind of like a big homecoming in Jesus. And I was sharing Eric with Eric before service that some of the young men 14 years ago that I met that were in Bible school, are now pastoring churches, and of course, uh, you know, you just see the work of God continue to multiply, and then in the home church there in Destiny, where the conference was held, is now you're seeing another generation of young people that are just gifted and talented, and uh, was just blessed beyond measure to see what God's doing with uh, not only those that I had met previous, but also to see uh, the gospel continuing to expand, and it was a real glorious time. We we saw a number God do a number of healings uh, there, and uh, there was just a real strong presence of God. Uh, they had those that have been sent out of the church that have become mi- missionaries. We had one of the sisters that was a part of the work there very early. She was uh, in the school of ministry. She's now a missionary in South Africa, and she came back. And so the Lord is doing a wonderful thing in Nigeria. Uh, For those of you that like missions, uh, you know, there are different stages that an indigenous church goes through. There's stage one where missionaries are coming to them and 
and then you reach a stage three where they take ownership of the work. But the church in Nigeria has reached a stage five level of a church. They are a multiplying, uh, self-supporting ministry. They're sending missionaries uh, throughout the world. Matter of fact, some of the largest churches now in Europe are pastored by Nigerian uh, pastors that God has just sent out of that nation and uh, are pastoring some of the largest churches in Europe today because God has really touched that nation with a revival, and now they're, they're uh, taking names and doing the stuff. Amen? <laughs> I'm going to share a message this morning that I, I'm going to also just confess that this was a message that God gave me about a year ago. And as I was praying on uh, what to share this morning, I just felt a quickening to share this message again. And I would say that's even more relevant now in some things that God has spoken to me over this past year. It's more relevant now than it was last year when I began to explore the topic. Uh, If you've been in spirit-filled circles for any length of period of time, you know that one of the major truths that has been emphasized in the body of Christ is a truth that we call who we are in Christ. And I realize that that truth encompasses many, many aspects. Our, you know, the rights and the authority of a believer, you know, uh, our identity in Christ Jesus, all those things like that. But for every truth that God gives, normally there is a flip side, just like a coin has two, two uh, sides to it. Normally there's a flip side of that truth. They're married together. They're like twins that are, that are conjoined together. But I do see there is going to be a, a major shift. And if I could say this, probably in the last 30 years, as much as the message has been taught on who we are in Christ, over the next 30 years, for the development and the maturity of the church, you're going to see the truth of who Christ is in us preached. Matter of fact, the Lord is... is, is It's been important, and I believe that it was important that who we are in Christ be taught first because the emphasis is upon the discovery of who we are in Him. But equally important, and the Lord is going to shift because He really wants us to be His body on the earth. He really wants us to be His heart, His hands, His eyes, His feet, He really wants a a multi-membered body to not just positionally know that we're His body. This truth is really going to become a thing where God wants us to have experiential uh, revelation of who Jesus in and us is in us. And I think when we have studied and we have, uh, you know, gone deeply into the truth of who we are in Jesus. It is a thing where we understand positional truths. Okay, I'm seated together with Christ in heavenly places. And, and so there is a position of I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But now God wants the truth to go from positional understanding to experiential reality. That this thing has to become real. That you, are, you understand that you're the only Jesus many people will ever encounter in every meet. There's a powerful scripture where Paul talks about the reality of you understanding that you, you are something that never existed before on the earth. You're a new creation. 
And he said that with that new creation reality, you have a message of reconciliation. That you're to be a demonstration, a walking demonstration, a visible demonstration of the reality that God can make everything new. That it doesn't have to remain the same for you. That you don't have to be stuck in patterns of thinking and a lifestyle of slavery and bondage. But actually, everything can become brand new and realities can come in your life that never existed before. And so he said that demonstration of you being a new thing and a, new, a part of a new creation brings with it the message of reconciliation. And it says when you encounter those that are estranged from God and that are strangers from God, that don't know his love and that do not know the reality of his fatherhood in their life and, and they don't understand his heart towards them, that as you come into contact with them, there is this wooing of the word and the ministry of reconciliation that comes to them. Where they see what God has done in and through you. They begin to see the Father's uh, securing of your heart and the stamp of, of destiny and identity in your life. And this message that I want to share this morning is called Chosen Vessel. Because I believe that God wants each of us to once again be reawakened to the reality of the touch of God in our life. And whenever we talk about identity and destiny, I, I always say that many times there's been this thing in the body of Christ where destiny is taught that we're in the driver's seat of destiny. You know, we're the makers of our own destiny. And, and there is this thing of co-laboring together with God in partnership with God where God calls and then we respond to the call. But there is divinity in destiny. You've been touched by divinity. You have been marked by divinity. There is this touch of the image of God that has stamped your life. His fingerprints and His hand is all over you. And so sometimes I think that we go, oh, well, I made a mistake and I made a wrong decision and I've disqualified myself and I've messed up and I'm beyond repair and it's beyond recognition of what I thought I dreamed to be. And I want to tell you, no, 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 no. Matter of fact, one of the greatest mistakes that I think that we make is we don't understand who we are in Christ, but then who he has made us to be in him, but also then who he is wanting to reveal himself in us. And this is not the passage that I, I chose to, to teach on, but I, I'm, I'm just setting a context, okay? Before we get into it, I'm trying to warm you up. But 2 Corinthians, or 2 Kings chapter 4, there was that lady who had this experience of tragedy in her life where her husband, who feared God, and he was known as one of the prophets. And he had died either suddenly. It doesn't tell us how he died, but... He left a widow and two children. And, and out of this desperate moment where her life was turned all upside down, she comes to the prophet of God and she said, you knew my husband and you knew he was a man that feared God. And he was one of the fellow prophets in the school of the prophets. And, you know, we thought our life was on this track and we thought we were going somewhere in God. And we thought destiny, we knew what destiny was, but now there is this interruption. And the prophet turns to her and he said, and she goes, they're coming to get my kids. 
And they're going to be sold and indentured off into slavery because financially we're not in a good place. We were in debt. And she said, what can we do? And he asked her the question. He said, what is in your house? I want to ask that same question to each one of you. And I don't want you to think about your physical dwelling place that you live in, of your three-bedroom or two-bedroom home. I want you to look at this as you being the temple of the living God. And every one of us, many times, we, we, we look past the treasure, the riches, the glory, Christ in us, that hope and expectation of a glory that's going to be re- revealed in and through us. And he said, what do you have in her house? And in light of that interruption in her life and the experience of loss, she was so overwhelmed in the moment when they asked her, what is it that you have in your house? She said, I have absolutely nothing. And that is a tragedy that many times in the middle of pressure and stress and moments of pain, we minimize what we still have in God. <laughs> we get into these things of tragedy or we get in the, the pressure and debt and difficulty and all these things that confront us or the suddenlies that break in on our life that are unexpected things that challenge us in the realm of our faith. And when the question that God asks us, because we feel that we cannot do it, we have nothing left, and we're saying, God, why have you put me in this situation? God, instead of, instead of him saying, I'm going to take care of it for you, don't worry about it, he wants to in turn say, I've not left you without hope. I've not left you without something. I've not left you barren. I've not left you in a place where you cannot be fruitful, even though you feel limited in this moment. What do you still have in your house? And so as she said nothing, there was a minimizing of what God had left her and given to her. And then she pauses for a moment. She said, well, I do have something. And she said, all I have is just this little bit of oil. And I want to say this, that little bit of oil is all you need because You give God the little, and then He puts a multiplying spirit upon it. And I see that that is a picture, a a portrait of where the church is at right now. God is asking us, what is in your house? And we feel that in the times that we live in, and the challenges that we face in our country, and we are being challenged, brothers and sisters, and it is not just a political challenge, and it's not just... You know, material challenges. There are major spiritual challenges that are confronting us. And so the politicians do not have an answer for what happened at Sandy Brook. They don't have an answer for what happened at Aurora. They don't have an answer for some of the things that we're experiencing. But the church has got to answer the question boldly, courageously, and saying, we've reevaluated what's in our house, and we do have some oil. And that if we will get the oil and begin to pour it out in places that are empty, and places that are barren, God will multiply the oil that is within us, and then when it is positioned to be delivered, we'll see that it was more than we ever dreamed and imagined. But the process of it being poured forth into those empty places is going to be the key to the multiplication and the release of it. 
You know, there's this cry, and you, you see it on the news, and you see it on Facebook and all the media. That there's this cry, we've got to have gun control. And, you know, I'm saying if there needs to be adjustments, okay, whatever we need to do. But I guarantee you they can make every law that they want to in the books concerning guns. That's not going to, what we have is a spiritual issue. We don't have just a physical issue. But politics deal with the, the things that are physical, obviously. And so they'll try to somehow control what seems to be out of control. But God is trying to get the church to say, okay, let the government do what it needs to do. But guess what? The church needs to do what it needs to do. And there are tremendous spiritual challenges. But what do we have in our house? And God wants us to rediscover that. There's another passage of Scripture that I'll just allude to, and then maybe I'll get to the verse that I was going to read. You know, there's faith always that occurs on two levels. And there is this thing of of what God does and our faith in God. And uh, the disciples encountered a demonic spirit that a father in desperation, again in desperation, came and said, I want you to cast this demon out of my child, because this is what this demon does, torments my child. And it says that as they begin to encounter and and confront this demonic power, it was resistive, it wouldn't budge. And it reached a point where they were so frustrated, they gave up. And many times what we do is we allow our experiences in difficulty, truth becoming real, truth becoming expressed, Sometimes it's not always like it is in the textbook, is it? How many of you read the seven ways to receive healing? And you think, I got this. I got it. I read this book on seven ways to get healed. And it's just that plain and just that simple until it was something that you were confronting in your life. And you did the principles. But from the principles to actually the process of seeing that healing manifested, sometimes it's just not as easy as the book. Now, Jesus had commissioned these men, and he told them, specifically in their apostolic release and mandate, he told them, he said, I want you to cast out demons. And what, what is so weird about that text is that Matthew 10 is the commission that he gave them, and they went out, and they came back after that initial, you know, kind of endeavor of going throughout the land and teaching and preaching and they came back and they said we're excited because demons are subject to your name we had initial success but as you grow in God you will come to a place where at new levels you will experience new devils and maybe one time and it's just as simple and easy as possible and, 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 and you think, I got it all figured out now. I, this, the, oh, wow, I'm, this is it. Yeah, I'm cooking with gas or cooking with grease or Crisco or whatever you want to cook with. But you just go, I got it all figured out, this thing of spiritual warfare or healing or walking in the miraculous or walking by faith. I got it all figured out, and it's all nice and packaged in my mind. And then I begin to teach it to everybody else. And then you come into an issue of an area that you're contending for in faith, and it becomes difficult. And in that moment, you have a choice of either saying, my theology has got to fit my experience, 
And this is where many times the church has developed theologies of unbelief. And we come up with excuses or, or reasons why that we didn't have the same results that we had before. And so then we come up with things. Well, maybe it's not God's will to heal everybody. Or maybe that deliverance is for some. And, and we come up with these ideas that it's the sovereign choice of God. And that God just goes, you're going to be healed, but you're not. And I'm going to set you free, but you're going to have to just deal with it. Yeah, you're going to have to work hard at yours. You know, whatever. Or you've disqualified yourself because you didn't make that last confession, which was the 10,892nd confession you made, but God was expecting the 93rd. And we get into this thing of performance, and we get under pressure, and we try to make it work, and it won't work. I always loved it when I would watch new believers come into the faith because God would do this thing in the revelation of his father to them where they would just pray kooky prayers. I mean, it could be some, they would ask God for things that you and I would say, no, he won't answer that. And he turns around and answers them. And I've discovered that, you know, God likes to spoil his kids when they're young. Just gives them whatever they want to. How many of you enjoyed that season of your life in Jesus in the very beginning where you just, you didn't know how to pray. You didn't even know how to express it. You'd never been taught, you know, to pray in King James yet. You didn't even know all your these and thous or your amens, but you just said, hey, God, could I have that? And the next thing you know, and it wasn't there was this delay in the answer to prayer. He shows up and he gave it to you right away. And all those that were in the Lord for a long time, we just sat there and we were jealous. <laughs> but remember the change where God didn't give you everything that you wanted all the time anymore. And there will be a day in the life of my little two-year-old where right now I give her almost everything she wants. I mean, she's not just wrapped me around her little finger, but, I mean, it's just she's got us right where she wants us. <laughs> but there will be a day where my fathering ministry will change. Where it won't be, I want this dad, and I give her whatever she wants to eat. She wants a sucker, and it's like, well... Okay, I know she shouldn't get all the sugar, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to her anyway. Yeah, they're baby teeth. That's right. They're baby teeth. And Carmen told us uh, yesterday, she said, Lord of mercy, i got to get this child in there to get those sealants on, that, on, uh, on those teeth right away. She said, because this child is being given so much candy. Everybody just wants to. So we go through the drive through the bank and... And they, they're looking, hi, Karis. And she's going, hi. And, of course, they go, can she have a sucker? We go, oh, yeah, give her a sucker. The lady drops in six suckers <laughs> in the tray. And it's like, what are we going to do with all this? Well, I know what we're going to do. We're going to give her each one of those every day for six days, you know. Because that's the way God is. He loves to just bless and gives us things that are sweet. Taste of the Lord and see that he is good. Where you understand his heart and his intentions towards you. But then as you mature, he begins to say, well, we're going to start partnering now. I've been doing it all for you. We're going to start partnering. I'm going to be the author and the developer of your faith. I'm going to allow you to start confronting things that I would have just protected you from and would not allow the enemy to even be able to test you in that way.
But I'm going to show you that I'm going to develop you into a warrior and an overcomer. And through that is a process of learning to resist, learning to stand therefore and be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, beginning to use the armor of God and the weapons of your warfare. I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to, I'm going to always be there for backup with you, but I'm going to put my word in you. And I want you to be able to learn to stand alone. I want you to learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Instead of saying, God, come to my rescue, do it for me. No, you're going to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And I'm going to be strong in you. But you're the one that's going to face the giant. I'm not going to take out the giant. You're the one that's going to speak to him. You're the one that's going to load up that rock and that sling. And you're the one that's going to face him down. Back him down. Defeat him in your life. And so there is this thing that I'm going to do in you. And so the disciples, getting back to the story, they came to that place where there was a moment where they could have redefined their theology. But Jesus showed us what true theology is. Jesus is true theology, isn't he? If you want to know anything about God, his nature and his heart, you look at Jesus. He's the perfect pattern, the perfect picture. And so the father persevered and he went in there and he took his child to Jesus, and he said, listen, I went to your disciples. They prayed for him, but there was no breakthrough. There was no deliverance. They didn't live up to their reputation, even though some of them thought they had a revelation of being a a deliverer of men. But they gave up. They quit. They stopped. And this is just a little exhortation. Some of you have given up on things that you used to be strong in, and God wants you to quit the thing of giving up on what you used to do quite well. And break through to that level. Don't redefine your theology. But Jesus went and he brought freedom to the child and deliverance to the child, which revealed to us what was God's will in that moment. What was God's will? God's will was freedom for that child. And so they came back and they debriefed with Jesus and they said, well, tell us, why is it that we couldn't bring this child freedom? And you revealed what the Father's will was. You set this child free, but we couldn't do it. Why? And we begin to discover the reason why. Jesus said it was because of your unbelief. It's because you didn't believe. Now, I want to ask that. Did I ask you this question? Was their unbelief related to the ability of God the Father or Jesus the Son? I believe the disciples in that ministry of deliverance, they believed that God could set that child free. Otherwise, they would have never began the engagement of praying over that child. They would just said, no, I don't believe my God does that. Now, he, he does the, this, but he doesn't do that. So, you know, go find some other source or strength that you can get relief from your child. No, they began to engage in the process of setting that child free. And it was because they believed that God did it. They also knew that Jesus modeled what God does. And they knew that one thing about Jesus is the spirit of the Lord God was upon him and it anointed him not only to preach and to declare the kingdom, but to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom. And he said, I've come to set the prisoner free. I'm going to open up prisons. I'm going to open up the doors. I'm going to break the chains. People that have been bound by Satan, I'm going to bring them out. I save, I heal, and I deliver. 
This is what I bring. This is the anointing of the Messiah. This is what I will bring and reveal the nature and the character of God. And so I believe that they, they believed that Jesus could do it. And I believe that they knew that Jesus had told them that they could do what he was doing. But there came a time and a moment in which they began to not have confidence in God. They began to have a confidence crisis in themselves. They begin to say, I believe that God can do anything. But I no longer believe that God can do it through me. Faith on two levels. Believing God, but also believing that God is in you. What's in your house? You know what's in your house? The very spirit of the living God. Romans 8 tells us that same spirit, not a facsimile, not one that is close or near like it, but the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Do you know the things, the very thing that touched the dead body of Jesus? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God hovered over that body, went in and regenerated cells. There was a touching of spirit to flesh. And I would have liked to have seen that. I believe hopefully one day our faith can turn to sight. When we get to heaven, we can say, show us the resurrection. But I tell you what, that spirit was touching those cells, touching those organs that were in a process of decay, was touching every facet, the muscles, the ligament, the sinews, the skin. There was a regeneration and a renewal that was occurring in his body where molecules and, and atoms and the, the molecular structure of his body that was breaking down by a spirit of death all of a sudden began to come back together. The DNA strands that were breaking down began to reconnect because the spirit was touching something that was natural and physical. So something that touched the dead body of Jesus in a tangible, real way, that same Spirit is in me. <laughs> that Spirit had the capability of raising a man from the dead after three days and three nights in the grave. He said that same Spirit, and he said that same Spirit is now quickening, making alive your mortal body. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, he, in that prayer, he said, I, I, I'm praying and I want you to agree in prayer with me that the church could come into an understanding of three things. And he said, I, I pray that the Father of glory would open up your hearts and the Holy Spirit, which is a spirit of wisdom and revelation, would open up your eyes of your understanding that you could see the expectation and the hope of the Father's call of your life. Again, that there is divinity in your destiny. There is some place that He's taking you in Him. <laughs> Hallelujah. That you're going to get there. <laughs> and the devil can't stop that. I said the devil can't stop that. I just want to say that one or two other times. The devil can't stop that. Why? 
Because God is bigger than the devil. <laughs> and so you need to understand that faithful is he that has called you that also will do it. He that has begun the good work in you will perform it even if it requires the very last second of the very last minute of the very last hour before he returns. He will finish what he started in you. Because he is able. But you can stop your destiny. You can abort it by being like that widow when the prophet asked her, what's in your house? And she said, nothing. And that wasn't true. And she could have walked away. And when he said, what are you having? She could have been offended by that question. She could have walked away and said, why are you asking me what I got in my house? I just lost my husband. How insensitive, insensitive you are to me in this moment of my pain. But I thank God that she recalibrated. And when she said at first, her first initial response, nothing, I don't have anything. Matter of fact, my, all I see is my kids are going to be slaves and I'm going to be left all alone with no one to love me, no one to support me, and I feel abandoned by God at this moment. But I'm glad she recalibrated and said, I have some oil. And when she rediscovered what she still had left, God was able in turn to bring a miracle in her life. Now, I will share just a little bit of the original message that I was going to bring. <laughs> because, you know, this is the Christmas season, and, and, and Mary became this chosen vessel. There were thousands of women in Israel. Why Mary? Well, again, I believe the, there is the sovereignty of God where God makes a sovereign choice. But I also believe he chooses those that are sensitive to his call. There was something that attracted the attention of God to that little town called Nazareth. That was unknown by anybody that was so remote and so poor. There was, there was some qualities that the searching eyes of God looked and said, That's the one that will carry my son. How many of you want to be that? I want to be a, a new Mary. I want to be one that the Lord can look and say, that's the one. There's, there's many candidates, many are called. There's many people that have the prophetic potential to carry the Christ so that my son can be revealed in the fullness of time. But this is the one, the one. I like that. This is the one that I've chosen. And one of the things that I noticed about Mary is when the angel engaged her. And again, you can imagine how, based on her worldview and the limitations of her perspective, just in her state of immaturity. I mean, this was a little teenage girl. And she was going through all the normal process of life. She was betrothed to be married, and she thought, this is what I'm going to be. I'm just going to be this little Jewish girl, and I'm going to raise a Jewish family. And this is where we're at. I'm in Nazareth. And I'm going to live and die here in this little town. And nothing ever significant is going to happen with my life. And I love what she did when the angel came to her and said, Mary, you're highly favored and you're chosen by God. God's going to do something in you 
that you're going to be known as one that's blessed among all the women of the, of the world. The women of all time, God has chosen you. And she could have said, why? She could have said, are you kidding me? Why, why is God doing this to me? Because immediately when you hear that God's going to do something different in you than what he's done in other people, you need to understand that I'm sure she could, when he said, you're going to conceive and you're going to have a child, and she said, listen, I've never even known a man, so I don't know how in the natural process of things this is going to happen. I'm glad that she didn't say why. I'm glad she said how. How many of you know we've got to make a transition in how we react and respond to God in his choice of us? That we've got to start saying to God when he comes to us and says, I'm going to do something with your life. And we go, well, how is this going to affect this? And how is this going to change? And, and uh, there was a, something that I meditated on as I was studying. And I looked at Mary's name. Do you know Mary's name? The root of the word Mary means sea of bitterness. And we know in ancient times what they did was they named their child many times based upon the environment they were in. And I see that Mary, her choice in the engagement of God was not a choice of saying, I don't want to change or, you know, I don't want to experience pain in my life. And that's two big things that every one of us in life, we fear, change and pain. And so her, her choice, when God's calling came to her life, it wasn't like God's going to say you're going to be pain-free for the rest of your life and there's going to be no change that you're going to process a change that you're going to walk through. Matter of fact, everything's going to be great and glorious from here on out. Happy ever after, Mary, because of the call of God upon your life. That wasn't the choice of a, a life of no pain and no change. But it was a a thing of understanding that I live in a fallen world. As a matter of fact, the fallen world that I live in is very fallen. That my parents would even name me Mary, which means a sea of bitterness. Obviously, there were some bad things that had happened around that environment in Nazareth. And her parents had a poisonous perspective that says, guess what? You live life here, your destiny is bitterness. Because you're going to drink of bitter things living here in this environment. But Mary, her choice in the call of God was to say, in the pain and in the change, I'm going to trust Him. No matter what happens to my life from here on out, I'm going to learn to trust Him. And if He said it, and I love that, be it done unto me according to your word. She said, if you say it, and if this is what God has determined for my life, I don't understand how it's going to happen. But I'm not going to say, why is it happening to me? I'm going to say, God, how can this be since I've never known a man? And I love what the angel said to her. From that moment, when she, instead of asking why, when she started asking how, right at that moment, the angel began to bring her spiritual understanding. How many are ready to shift out of whys and start asking God how? 
Because God puts calling on our lives and we go, how is this going to work? And God begins to say, well, it's going to work because the Holy Spirit's kind of come along you. And you're not going to need a man because this is going to be something that's completely supernatural. And the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. What's going to be conceived on the inside of you is going to be of the Holy Ghost. And you need to know, Mary, in your grid where you, you function in the realm of human possibility, I want you to know that nothing is impossible with God. And then he also gave her another spiritual clue, but she had to follow up on that clue. And she said, I want you to know something that is not the same, but something similar is happening to one of your kinsmen. And you know that old gal down there, your cousin Elizabeth, who's been barren for years, she's also going to conceive and have a child. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, what he will do is he'll begin to give us. We'll go from asking why to how. The Holy Spirit will start giving us spiritual understanding that helps us process through the changes that come when we respond to the calling of God on our life. She went down there and she began to, she went immediately, the Bible says, she went immediately to where Elizabeth lived. And I love it when you think that, man, I have nothing and no one to compare with what's in my heart of what God is speaking to me. Nobody in my town will understand what God is, is revealing to me. Nobody understands what is going on inside of me. They'll call me crazy. They'll call me nuts. They'll write me off. They will speak of my past and disqualify me. All those things that they will come up with reasons why I can't believe and do what God has called me to do. But God will direct you to your Elizabeth to compare spiritual notes with. And you'll say, there's been a Holy Spirit conception, a Holy Spirit pregnancy of the call of God upon my life that has come. And, and, and they'll be able to resonate as deep calls to deep. And there'll be spiritual resonance with other people to say, well, my experience is not exactly like yours, but I can relate at some level because I was barren for years and the Holy Spirit caused me to conceive in my older years. So you're a young one that's conceiving and you're not married. What you've conceived is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I was barren and now God has called me to conceive. And God will begin to explain the how if you'll change your questions. How many of you have been asking God too many whys? God has questions for us. What's in your house? He comes to us with questions, and those questions are not to disqualify us. Do you get that? We've got questions for God, and we need to refine the questions we ask Him. Instead of expressing fear and doubt and unbelief, we need to just say, Lord, I'm limited in my understanding. Help raise the level of my understanding. But then also, God has questions for us. And they're not to disqualify us. They're to enable us to see what is in our house. Mary could have said, there's no way that I'm going to go through with this. I'm not going to yield. 
You go find somebody else in Israel that'll carry the Christ. It'll be too painful. I'll be misunderstood. I'll be marked as impure. I'll be ridiculed. There will be such a test of misunderstanding. The one that I love, my husband, that I'm a spouse to, what, what is he going to do? I mean, you know, that's real fear. That's real life stuff and real issues of life. But yet I appreciate this young woman. And that's why God chose her. It's because he saw her innocence. He saw her willingness to yield and to trust. He saw her humility. To say, let it be done according to your word. I believe that I'm facing a group of people today that are filled with the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Paul said, I pray that you would know the Father's hopeful calling that he's called you. He said, I pray that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power that he demonstrated in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he went on later in Ephesians, he said, that very same power is the one that works in you mightily. But then there was a third part of that prayer. He said, I pray that they would begin to see the glorious beauty of their inheritance of Christ. But where is that inheritance located? Paul said, in them. You're rich. What an inheritance you have. What wealth you have. I'm going to finish, but I want to just add one final thing, and hopefully it's not one final thing too much. I've been talking to my kids about a mentality of poverty that I believe that is cultivated by a spirit. And you can have a lot of money in the bank and still have a poverty spirit, poverty mentality. But what was a, you know, I always am one that I've got my antennas up. And when I was in Nigeria, I, it was remarkable over 14 years how that some people that had absolutely nothing 14 years ago and that I knew them. Matter of fact, one of the most Oh, moving moments in my life was this poor Bible school teacher that worked in the Bible college that Cletus had established. And he asked to meet with me. And he walked over, and I knew what wages he was paid per month. And every month it was a faith challenge to believe God that those wages would be present to pay the staff. But this man of God had such a beautiful heart and beautiful spirit. He asked to meet with me, and I went in there. And he walked over, and he opened up this cabinet. Now, he, this was an office that he had, that he prepared his lectures, but he also slept there, and he lived there. And he walked over and opened this cabinet, and there was one bottle of Coke in there. And he got that one bottle of Coke, and he set it down, and he said, I've saved this for such an occasion like this. You know, it was tough for me to even drink that. Matter of fact, 
I was very tempted. I was very, no, I was very tempted to take it outside and to not drink it and pour it out on the ground as an offering to the Lord. Because I felt unworthy to partake of this man's sacrifice. And so I met people that were impoverished. And I've watched over 14 years how that, with all of the limitations in that environment in Nigeria, how many of them have prospered, and some of them have even become wealthy people. Matter of fact, some of them that engaged me in the last two weeks, I mean, they just treated me like royalty. And giving and, you know, just taking me out to dinner and, and things like that. And I began to go, wait a minute, are these the same people that I met 14 years ago? You know why they were able to achieve that success? Because I would have thought, there's no way anybody is going to get out of the circumstances of their life condition because they don't have opportunities here. But they didn't believe it. If you had asked me, would any of them become wealthy, successful, have opportunities, the ability to break out of the cycles of the level of living that they were in. But you can tell they're not poor in their mind. They're not poor in their spirit. They view themselves as being someone that is royalty. And one of the things that I, right before I got to the airport to leave, I noticed that they had a sign that it said, look what God has done in our state. And they're openly declaring that, look what God has done. There has been a transformation. And so I saw people that even though their circumstances were difficult, and when I was there 14 years ago, I can remember saying, God, just let me get back to America because I don't know if I can deal with the poverty and the want here, and the despair, and, and you just feeling that, that sense of hopelessness that I was putting myself in that situation of saying, if I lived here, I would just become hopeless. But why is it that they didn't become hopeless and give up? Because they believed God, but they also believed that God was in them. And now I look back at some of us who live in a land of abundance and opportunity and blessing and talking about opportunities everywhere that surround us. And here Americans are some of the most complaining people that you ever want to meet. And I want to say, if we're not careful, the head is going to become the tail. And the tail is becoming the head because they believe God's word. And they're saying, if you said it, it doesn't matter if we have a Muslim as president or it doesn't matter if our economy is bad. It doesn't matter what the environment is or the lack of opportunities or the lack of manufacturing. It doesn't matter. We believe what God has said and we say, let it be done unto me, not just them, but unto me. 
My life can be different. My life is going to be different. My circumstances are different because God has designed my destiny. And that I see what is in my house. And it's almost as you encounter some of these people that have gotten the revelation of not only who they are positionally in Jesus, but who Jesus is in them. I'm amazed at their their dignity, their confidence, their sense of royalty. And so what they do is they have their own names, but then they add names to themselves. So I was telling Eric all the way from Lagos back to Houston, I was sitting beside two little Nigerian girls that were six and four that were named Divine and Virtue. Now, where did that come from? That wasn't just cute or it wasn't just clever. That was a mother that said, I'm going to speak royalty in their destiny. I'm going to speak of the inheritance of what Jesus is in them. And so my girls will be known as divine and as virtuous. We should. Some of you are living as paupers. And you're standing on the outside of the kingdom looking in the window and saying, I wish I could sit at that table. And I want to tell you, open the door. The door's not locked. And you'll notice that there's a chair that is meant for you. And there is a table that is prepared for you even in the presence of your adversaries that told you you don't have a right to be there, but you do through His blood. And so sit down and begin to not be embarrassed and saying, what's, what's a guy like me doing in a place like this? Because this is a place for protocol and kings and for governors and for rulers and those with authority and with wealth and money and possessions and position. And I don't think I have any of them. Well, you are wrong. But you've got to rediscover what you got in your house. And you've got to start, stop asking the question why and just say how. And then as he begins to unpack it and connects you to the right people, then it can also confirm to you that what's on the inside of you is of the Holy Spirit. Then all of a sudden there is a confidence in saying, I can carry this. I can carry the king. And not feel weird about it. You know what? One of the things that I will finish and land the plane. One of, one of the greatest things that I felt a little bit disappointed of leaving because I got into that environment where I sensed that there's been a quantum leap in how these people perceive themselves. And I got in there, and it was like, whew, this is good. And because, you know, you start relating to people that actually view themselves as having divinity in their destiny and have that sense of the touch of royalty about them. You want to go, I could live here. I could stay here. Because as you start experiencing that, you go, man, this is what heaven's going to be like. 
Just like it is in heaven, realities on the earth. Where no man is a pauper, every man is a king. Oh, I tell you, it's glorious. And we've got to come into that reality that God has called you to carry your heart because you're filled with glory, filled with beauty, filled with the riches of the fragrance of His, His presence. I wanted you to stand up and act like you're one of the children of the King. Will you? Thank you, Lord. And not just in this moment, but tomorrow when you confront that resistive devil that says, I'm going to put you back in your place. And you tell him, no, you're not going to redefine my theology by this experience. I'm going to stand on the truth. And I'm going to say, let his word be done unto me. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that there would come a, just a quickening by the Holy Spirit. Just a revelation. And I know that we have received revelation from you. That you've shown us glimpses, facets. You have, you know, pulled back the veil. You've, you've pulled off things from our eyes. You've let the light grow so we can see further out. But Lord, we just pray, would you take us from glory to glory this morning? Just cause the illuminating light of truth to grow even brighter in the room. Let us begin to see ourselves more clearly. As we behold your glory, as we behold you, let us see who you are fashioning us to be. And Father, I want you to, right now, just as the way you do as a master potter, God, would you cause us to become resensitized to your touch. And that you're making us beautiful in your time. You're shaping you're molding, you're making. And I thank you for the beauty of your workmanship. I thank you that we are handcrafted. <laughs> we are fine vessels for higher and noble purposes. And that God, that we say the substance is you. You are the thing that fills the vessel. But God, I thank you that you have put your glory into noble and honorable vessels that bear the mark of your signature and the creativity of who you are. That it's not been mass production. And it's not just that everybody has to be the same and look alike, but God, there's such beauty. And so we right now, as we go into the new year, we call forth the destiny of your people. Each and every person, but each and every family, every single person here, God, I pray that today they would feel the touch 
of the potter's hand. It says, child, I've chosen you. You're mine. And I'm going to prepare you for great purpose. And I'm going to reveal my glory in you. And I'm going to fill you to overflowing. God, I ask that you would address the spirit that keeps us impoverished. The spirit of poverty that, and, and we're not just talking about the lack of money. God, we're talking about a lack of an a, a attitude, a perspective, a lack of understanding that keeps us at a level of operation and function that is so below. And that's why we call it the poverty line. God, I thank you for breaking through the poverty line. That I will not live below the standard of the kingdom of God. And I thank you for it in Jesus' holy name. Sons and daughters of God, arise. Arise to your destiny. And Jesus, reveal yourself in us. And so, Lord, we want to answer the question, what's in our house? We want to say Jesus is in our house. Thank you, Lord. Let that be the reality. Amen. Amen. Pastor Eric. Thank you, Lynn. The song that kept coming in my heart as he was doing that. Tell me who's in the house. JC, tell me who's in the house. <laughs> oh, God's good. Thank you, Lynn. That's a powerful word. Powerful word. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, as we get ready to, to leave, I want to challenge you to take that word and allow it to produce fruit in your heart all week. Amen? Chew on that. Go on the podcast. Listen to it again. And allow that, because even in that is the character of our God. That is the character of our God. That's what we've been talking about. And we're changed by that when we realize how much we have been chosen. That, that comes out of his fatherhood. That comes out of who he is. And it changes us. So chew on that. Continue to seek God for his character because it is what is going to transform us. Amen? Amen. Remember tonight we have the special service on forgiveness. Uh, remember next Sunday is our special children's. Uh, the children are going to put on a special presentation for Christmas. So it's going to be really, really neat service next week. And uh, third, also as you leave, I still need three people to engage with me on helping uh, three uh, kids for Christmas. So if that, that is you and you want to help me, please see me right after service. But may God bless you in the name of Jesus. Have a great day. We love you. Bye.